Well, hey, church, it is great to be with you. My name is Ethan Magnus, uh, one of the pastors here, and so glad to be with you this morning as we continue our series, Promised. It felt like spring all weekend, and the flowers are blooming, and Easter is right around the corner. What an amazing time to get to worship our God. I hope you're ready for Easter. I hope you've already invited somebody, thought about what service you're going to attend. Don't forget about the prayer vigil that starts on Tuesday, and it's kind of throughout the week uh, leading up to Easter. It's going to be a fantastic experience. Uh, You won't want to miss that. You can get information on that on that little Easter card. Uh, We're in the middle of this series, Promised, and we're talking about how God made promises through God's prophets. We're talking about how the prophets worked, how they communicated and taught, and how those promises teach us about Jesus. And how those same promises still are true and powerful in our lives today. And I am so excited about today's uh, message. Really, I feel like maybe I planned the whole series just so we could preach this message. We're going to nerd out a little bit on some apologetics. We're going to talk about some ancient history. And then we're going to end with just the coolest, coolest promise One of these amazing promises that just changes the whole trajectory of your day, the whole whole nature of your relationship to God. This week we start uh, with Jesus. Uh, We'll get back to the Old Testament prophecy eventually, but we start with Jesus looking at one of the radical turning points of Jesus' ministry. We're going to talk about the very first Palm Sunday. Now, in the way we celebrate the Christian calendar, typically Palm Sunday is the Sunday right before Easter. That would be next Sunday for us. And, uh, and next Sunday, we do have this really cool thing we're doing on Palm Sunday. It's going to be this dramatic kind of retelling of the whole last week of Jesus' life. It's going to be super awesome. But we won't get to focus on Palm Sunday. So I thought we'd focus on Palm Sunday this Sunday. So that next Sunday, when it happens, you'll know a little bit about what it means. Palm Sunday was this huge turning point in Jesus' ministry. Uh, Really, you you can sort of divide his whole ministry in half between everything that happened before Palm Sunday and everything that happened after Palm Sunday. Even though after Palm Sunday, he's crucified in less than a week. But that was the turning point. You see, before Palm Sunday... Jesus had been very slow to make big public claims about his identity. Oh, he'd have a private conversation with a few disciples here and a few disciples there, but mostly he was very careful to avoid big public demonstrations. He would heal and he would uh, forgive sins and he would feed people. He revealed glimpses of his identity. But, but often, if, if someone would figure out who he was, you're the son of God, they would say, or you're the Messiah, they would say, he would actually tell them to be quiet about it. He would say, yeah, yeah, okay, you've got it figured out, but don't tell anybody. It's not time for everybody to know yet. And this continued through almost all of Jesus' ministry. And in fact, this reluctance on Jesus' behalf to to just go out and claim who he was, the Messiah, the Son of God, come to save the world, his reluctance to just claim that has led some skeptics to kind of question whether he even thought he was the Son of God. 
uh, it's not an uncommon critique of our faith to say that the disciples claimed he was the Messiah or, or Paul claimed all these divine attributes for Jesus. But Jesus didn't really think he was the Messiah. Jesus was just a, a nice, quiet, well-meaning rabbi who, without these delusions of grandeur. And maybe you've heard that critique, or if you haven't, you might someday. But here's the thing. The critique that Jesus didn't publicly claim to be the Messiah only makes any sense at all if you completely misunderstand what happened on Palm Sunday. Because on Palm Sunday, everything changes. Jesus' private ministry of hiding his identity is over, and now he has gone public on Palm Sunday. We looked last week at what happens the day after Palm Sunday where he walks into the temple and preaches the Jeremiah 7 sermon basically announcing this temple is going to be torn down because you have stopped faithfully obeying God. He's gone public after Palm Sunday. So we don't miss it. Let's read the text together. Luke 19 uh, all the Gospels tell this story in one way or another, but since we're reading, a, we just finished Luke and our Through the Bible in a Year plan, or Through the New Testament in a Year, I thought we'd look at Luke's version. Luke 19. Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. All right, for starters, we just have to acknowledge, this is weird, okay? Jesus, this isn't what Jesus does. Like, the spooky, creepy instructions, kind of going off, do weird things, say these words. This is like totally not what Jesus does. Like, this is like not his vibe. He's always like saying, follow me. If there's any weird stuff to be done, he sort of does the weird stuff himself and lets the disciples watch. This is very different. He goes on. Those who were sent ahead went. And they found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, why are you untying it? And they replied, just like he told them, the Lord needs it. And apparently that was enough. Like apparently, like they, in those days with livestock, if strangers showed up and just said, the Lord needs your donkey, you were just like, all right, well, who am I to argue with the Lord? I mean, I don't know, but that's what happens. They bring it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt, and they put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people started spreading their cloaks on the road. So understand this, they're putting their clothes on the dirt road so the donkey can walk on them, okay? This is not normal behavior. Something weird is happening here. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, this is, there's a turn in the road. Up till now, he could have been going anywhere, but when he turns in the road, he's headed straight for Jerusalem. When he came to that place, 
the whole crowd of disciples, not the twelve, but the hundreds, they began to freak out. That's the literal translation of the Greek. No, it's not true. The literal translation is, they began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They begin to shout out loud, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They are ruining their clothes. They are stealing livestock. They are shouting out to God. This kind of stuff has never happened up till now in Jesus' ministry, but they know. You see, they are going crazy because they know exactly what is happening. You see, Jesus has entered cities before, but not like this. Jesus has faced the crowds before, but not like this. They start quoting the Bible at Jesus because they know exactly what is happening. A Pharisee nearby, he knows what's going on too. He calls out to Jesus, Teacher! Rabbi, he names him for what he believes him to be. Rabbi, rebuke your disciples. Shut this thing down. Tell them to pick up their clothes and shut their mouths and get off that donkey. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus replies, I tell you, the cat is out of the bag. We're headed in a new direction. My ministry is about to change. Even if they were to keep quiet, the stones would cry out. What has happened that has made everybody go crazy? This, he's just riding on a donkey. They're acting like this is a bigger deal than that one time he fed 5,000 people. They didn't sing about him then. You see, the Pharisees worried. Oh, oh, sure, in part he's worried about the Romans. Uh, Pilate and his armies would have arrived about the same time to keep the peace throughout Passover. And in part he's worried. News will get back to Roman of the Romans of some upstart that the crowds call king. But he's mainly worried because he understands exactly what is happening. The disciples knew what was happening. The crowds knew what was happening. The Pharisee knew what was happening. You see, there's a prophecy, you know. There's a promise from God. And we're going to look at the whole thing in just a minute. But here's the way it starts. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And this was not some private secret word held in some musty library like the prophecy of a fantasy novel or a movie. This was a public word of hope. Everybody knew it. The crowds knew it. The disciples knew it. And the Pharisees knew it. And most importantly, Jesus knew it. Which means this whole thing Jesus is doing on purpose. Like we got to get this. This isn't normally how we think of prophecy being fulfilled, right? Like normally we're like, oh, we think of prophecy as like it accidentally gets fulfilled. And only later you notice you're like, look, they fulfilled the prophecy. Ooh, spooky. But this isn't spooky at all. 
Jesus is like, okay, guys, it's time to fulfill some prophecy. Somebody grab me a donkey. Yep, that's what we're going to need for this one. Yep, we're going to ride into Jerusalem. This is a, a staged political enactment. It's a direct, intentional, public claim on Jesus' choice that says to everybody watching, he thinks he's the Messiah. He's claiming to be the promised king that God would send. This would be like if, if I went to Washington, D.C., and I hired a band to play Hail to the Chief, and I hired a judge to deliver the oath of office, and I stood up on the steps of Congress and gave a big speech. I mean, I'd get arrested, but everybody would know what I was doing, right? I was pretending to be president. Like, that's who we play Hail to the Chief for. That's who stands on the steps of Congress and delivers speeches. That's what Jesus is doing here. That's why the Pharisee says to him, Teacher, remember who you are. Remember your place. I'll give you that you're a rabbi. Sure, you're a rabbi, but don't do this. Do you know what you are claiming about yourself and about your ministry? Do you know how this claim is going to put you into direct conflict with the Romans and the leaders of the land? And Jesus says it's too late. Even if I somehow could quiet the people, the rocks would now sing because it is time to tell the truth. And for Christian apologetics, this moment, Palm Sunday, matters because it means that the common argument that you'll hear from some skeptics that Jesus was a nice Jewish rabbi who taught love and nice things, but nothing more than that, it simply cannot be supported. Here we have, in the most dramatic and intentional of ways, he's doing this on purpose. He didn't accidentally ride a donkey in Jerusalem. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm going to need for today? I'm going to need a donkey because we're going to do that whole Zechariah 9-9 thing. Let's just do that so that everybody will know just who I think I am. Now, they can agree with me. They can disagree with me. They can follow me or they can kill me. But after today, there'll be no doubt about who I say I am. And after that day, there was no doubt. And this means that Jesus is either crazy or narcissistic or manipulative, or he is the promised Messiah of God. But what he can't be, what he can't be, is just some sort of sweet, well-meaning, ethical teacher. Like, he can't be that. Or he wouldn't have gotten a donkey and ridden into Jerusalem and let people say these things about him. And the Pharisee knows it. The Pharisee knows good rabbis don't let people sing songs about them like this. Good rabbis don't ride donkeys into Jerusalem. He says, teacher, tell your people to be quiet. So the Palm Sunday text, it's a vital text for us to understand the turning point of Jesus' ministry that ultimately leads to his death and the claim he's making about the lordship over our lives and over the whole world. But here's the thing. The fact that Jesus, when he gets on a donkey and rides into town, the fact that in that moment he's claiming to be God's sent Messiah, that isn't even the cool part. 
Like, that isn't even what's awesome. I mean, it's awesome, but it doesn't begin to be the real awesome thing. It isn't just that Jesus does claim to be the Messiah in this moment. It isn't just that he does now finally, finally, publicly declare his identity as the reigning son of God. It's not just that. It's that he finally teaches us what kind of Messiah he is. And what kind of God we have. That's the good part. Because here's the thing. Some of you all, you showed up to church today worried. Some of y'all watching this later on YouTube or the live stream. Or if a friend sent you this link and you're listening to it right now on your phone somewhere. Some of you are are worried, not just with the general worries of life, but with a very specific worry. Some of you showed up today worried about God, worried about how God feels about you today, worried about what God would say to you if you had a real encounter with God today, worried about what God would do if God really showed up in your life. Maybe you worry that if God showed up in your life, it would be with a posture of destruction and judgment rather than a posture of peace and mercy. I meet people who are worried about the presence of God for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes people worry about the character of God. Maybe they met some of God's followers, like us, and our character wasn't that great, and they worry that God is as judgmental as we are, and they're worried. Or I I, I meet some people who worry about God because of mistakes that they've made. Their life has been a a series of mistakes and they can't forgive themselves for what they did. And they're pretty sure God can't forgive them either and so they're worried about God. Or maybe you worry because your faith is weak or your obedience is low or you've got a habit you can't shake or you've got a regret that just has its teeth in you. And you're just pretty sure if you really met God, if God really showed up in your life, if God marched into your city, it would be to condemn you or reject you or despise you or forsake you. I remember a season in my life where I did everything I could to avoid prayer. I still came to church, but I drug myself in the door and I tried to distract myself all through the services because I was afraid of the wrath of God and the scolding of God. I was so sure that God would come to me to humiliate me and belittle me. I was just so sure that God was against me because of junk that I was doing. And it didn't matter that I'd trusted Jesus. It didn't matter that I'd read all the books about forgiveness. I was worried about what it would feel like if I let God back into my life. If you're worried today about what it would feel like if you really let God into your heart, if you're worried today about what God wants to do in your life if you were to let God show up in your city, in your world, 
then, then we need to talk just a little bit about horses and donkeys and ancient Near Eastern kings. That's what you were thinking, wasn't it? I know you were thinking, I need a word of hope today. If only somebody would tell me more about horses and donkeys and ancient Near Eastern kings. I know that's what you were thinking, so let's do it. Um, by the time of Alexander the Great, a, a pattern had developed among uh, ancient Semitic uh, and Near Eastern kings and generals. Uh, when they were leading their armies into a city that they intended to destroy, they, uh, have, you know, you've, they've won a battle, you know, and now they're leading the armies into a city they've recently conquered. If they intend to destroy the city, they would ride into the city postured for war on a great war horse with armor jangling, sword in hand. They would ride into the city, declare its plunder and spoils there, and then unleash their armies to destroy anything that was left. But if they approached a city postured for peace, they would leave their war horse with one of their squires, and they would ride in. Funnily enough, it's the oddest picture, but there, at the head of their great armies that had just won the great victory, the king or the general would ride on a donkey. And this let the people know that they had come to establish peace. Oh, sure, the conquered city would now be part of whatever empire had just conquered them, but they would not be destroyed. They would not be plundered. They would be allowed to continue to live. And for the common people of the ancient world, they didn't really care too much which petty tyrant ruled their city as long as they were allowed to live in peace. So the people would look out from the edge of the city, peek around doorways and peek out of windows to look into the distance to see who rode at the head of the army. And more important than who rode, they would look to see on what did they ride. This pattern dates far back before Solomon. We can see in 1 Kings chapter 1, Solomon rides out to meet the people in riding a donkey as a declaration that he comes to establish his rule in peace rather than through war. We see this pattern in the conquest of Alexander the Great in ancient Near Eastern kings all over the region. Everybody knew what it meant when the king showed up on a donkey. And this is what Zechariah promises. Look back with me if you've got a Bible or it'll be up on the screen as well at a little more from Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, if you were well-schooled in horses and donkeys and ancient Near Eastern kings, that alone would be enough. But just in case you're not, the text goes on to make it clear. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to all the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. And as for you, as for you, with what posture does your king come for you? As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, 
I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. I will return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. I will restore twice as much to you as that which was taken. This is the arrival of our God. If you were worried today about what would it be like if I let God arrive in my life? Would he come to, my, to me with judgment so as to destroy? Would he come with me with cruelty so as to shame? Would he come to me with scorn so as to remove? No. That's what a horse would have meant. No, your king comes to you on a donkey. That's the good news of Palm Sunday. When Jesus arrives, He comes to bring peace. This is the promise that is finally fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Finally, a king has come. For the first time in the history of the world, a king has come not to destroy and to conquer and to rule, but to love and forgive. This is what is promised to God's people. The bow will be broken. The chariot turned into a wagon. And the peace of Christ will reign from the river to the ends of the earth. Look at how this oracle ends. I love the end of Zechariah 9. Listen to this promise. The Lord their God will save his people on that day. As a shepherd saves his flock. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be. Grain will make the young men thrive and new wine the young women. You want to know how much God loves me? I mean, you want to just, just let's make this about me just for a second, okay? You want to know how much God loves me? God's word promises that one day I am going to be attractive. That is amazing. Now, now we believe in miracles, don't we? I mean, obviously, clearly, this is talking about heaven and the next life. I understand there's no hope for this life. I'm clearly aware. But that's a promise from the Bible right there that you and I can claim to, okay? One day, when the good work of God is done, we're all going to be good looking. Now, of course, most of you are already good looking, so you've got to look forward to other promises. But some of us, we know, what, we know what we're talking about here, right? This is a good word. And I know it's crazy, but, but this, I just, somebody you know is worried that God doesn't love them enough, okay? Somebody you know is worried about that. Somebody you know is worried that if God show up in their life, he'd show up to judge them, or show up to condemn them, or show up to reject them. Maybe the person you know who's worried about that is you, okay? And, and, and if, that's, if that's what you're worried about today, maybe somebody told you that once. Maybe somebody told you that God was angry with you or that God was against you or God was coming to judge you and condemn you. And, and if that's what you're worried about today or if that's what you heard one time, I just need to ask you to do one thing for me. Would you please pay attention to the donkey? Okay, because see, Jesus did this on purpose. He's like, I got to go to Jerusalem, but I'm only going in one way. So somebody go find me a donkey. 
It's the weirdest thing Jesus ever does. He's never done it before. It's this weird thing. You go, just go there, take a donkey. If they ask, you say the Lord needs it. It'll all be cool. Like this is the only livestock stealing that Jesus endorses in the whole Bible. I just want to be clear, okay? This is the one time. But the reason he did it is because he needed everybody to know that the king of peace had come. The king of mercy had come. The king of forgiveness. The king, this, this phrase, the waterless pit, that, that was a, a reference to death for them. The, the grave. The king of the grave. The king who can draw people back from the waterless pit has come. He says, I've got to have a donkey because they've got to know that's the kind of king I am. This is the promise of Zechariah. And what we have seen in this whole series is that a fulfilled promise is not a finished promise. So absolutely, the prophecy of Zechariah 9, 9 through 17 or something, it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ on Palm Sunday. Absolutely it was. But it is absolutely not finished. Because our God, Jesus Christ, He's still riding around on a donkey to save people. Oh, here, listen, if you're not excited enough about um, the fact that you're going to be beautiful one day, although that's super exciting to me, check this one out. Can you put the very last slide back up on the screen, the very last one? I love this one. Okay, no, the one after that. Okay, just the next one. Yeah, I didn't prep this. This is my fault. Sorry. The, the, the next one down, like, it could be uh, the, the very end of that text. After they tell me how pretty I'm going to be, they tell me something else. Do we have this one? Is it not there? So. Oh, shoot. Okay, it's right, right, if you look it up in your Bibles, right there. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, it's before they tell me how I'm pretty. Second to last one, it's there, yeah, it's my fault. This is right here, look at this. You're gonna sparkle. That's the best, okay, obviously being beautiful, that's the best promise in scripture. But the second best one is you're gonna sparkle. You see that? Turn to somebody and say, one day when God's done doing all the cool things God's going to do, you're going to sparkle. Don't tell them all that. Just tell them you're going to sparkle. Look at somebody. Tell them they're going to sparkle. Tell them they're going to sparkle. I didn't even know I wanted to sparkle until I read this text this week. And I'm like, doggone it. I want to sparkle one day. That's going to be awesome. And look at that part above it there. You'll be saved. You'll be saved like a shepherd saves his flock and you'll be beautiful and the men get bread and the women new wine and all that all that that God wanted you to know about your future and the future of everyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ God wanted you to know all that and that's why Jesus woke up on Palm Sunday morning and said I think I'm going to need a donkey because I want God I want my people to know that the king of peace has come. It's time to go public. The king of peace has come. And the victory has been won. And the war is over. And they're going to be saved. And death will lose its grip. And they're all going to sparkle. And they'll all be beautiful. Let's pray. God, I thank you for Palm Sunday. I thank you that you went and found that donkey so that we would know with no doubt that you were the king of peace now come to save us. Gracious God, teach us to trust in your promises and if if this week we know somebody 
who doesn't know that promise, who doesn't know that they're going to be beautiful and they're going to be sparkling and they're going to be saved and that you are come to bring peace, if we would just tell them about the donkey this week, God. Thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.